With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome in, everybody. College football betting. I am your host, Eric Torres. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody is having a great week. And hope everybody is ready for what should be a fun championship week edition of college football betting with Aaron Torres but also just college football in general and it's crazy right because as the week has gone on and I think this happens sometimes we get so caught up in the big game or two that when you actually start to peel back the layers on some of the other games you start to realize this is going to be an awesome weekend of college football it is yes Georgia Alabama is the big one yes Michigan Iowa is huge for Michigan and frankly Iowa too so there is so many there's so many storylines in those big games, but even some of the smaller ones should be a lot of fun. Whether it is Mich- uh, whether it is Cincinnati Houston, whether it is that Pac-12 championship game on Friday night at Allegiant Stadium, so much to get into, so much to break down. Uh, this again, I mentioned it the other day, but this will be the final episode of the regular season. I suspect sometime next week I will do kind of a quick opening reaction to the bowl point spreads and lines. But obviously the bowls will be ever-evolving, ever-changing as rosters turn over, as guys opt out, as coaches come and go. So next week we will do a first reaction to bowl games, but this is the last time. This is the last time all season that we will do a second episode in one week. And so with that, really quick, before we get into today's show, I just very quickly want to thank you. Uh, I launched this show, I believe, what, the the week of week one. uh, Didn't know what to expect. Didn't know how much you guys cared about my college football betting opinions. But... Obviously, as the season has gone on, this show has picked up steam. We've gotten into a nice little groove, and I cannot thank you guys enough for the support. Been so blown away, so happy with the turnout, with the number of people who are interested, with you guys and girls obviously sharing with friends and family as the numbers have continued to increase all season long. So thank you for your support. Thank you for your interest in this show. And as I said, make sure you're subscribed. We will do a first reaction to the Bulls on next Monday or Tuesday. We will do a couple things during bowl season. And then right away, there's going to be stuff that comes out via DraftKings Sportsbook throughout the summer or throughout the winter, excuse me, early Heisman odds, early national championship odds. And we will do special shows as we get new information from DraftKings Sportsbook. So make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure, by the way, if you don't mind, rate a review. Give us a quick five star. But thank you all so much for your support. Last little note before, of course, we get into the big games this weekend. And that is, I want to remind you, this show is partnered with and sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook, the best online sportsbook. I appreciate their support of this show as well. And I should mention, as I always do, they have an incredible offer 
for listeners of College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. This is all you have to do. This is how you get involved. Go ahead, uh, show description. So if you're on Apple, if you're on Spotify, if you're on Google Music, wherever, in the show description, there is a link. If you click that link, special promo for you guys, first-time users, guys and girls, I should say, if you bet $1 on any individual game and that team scores one point, you automatically get $100 in free bets for new users. So say you think Georgia is going to score more than one point against Alabama. Bet $1 on them, you get $100 in free bets, courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. All they got to do is score one point. That simple, that easy. Here's what you have to do to take advantage of that offer. First, go ahead, click the link, and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook. Make your first deposit. Make a $1 bet on any team. And if that team scores one point, you automatically get $100 in free bets thanks to our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. This is the best deal going. You want to throw down a few bucks on the games this weekend. So go ahead, make sure, click the link, new users, DraftKings Sportsbook, bet $1 on one game. If they they score one point, you win $100 in free bets. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IN Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $1 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, with that said, let's get into this loaded championship week schedule. And listen, I, I don't want to beat around the bush. I, I could start with Wake Forest and uh, Pitt. I could start with Cincinnati and Houston, but that's not what you guys and girls want to talk about. You want to talk about the big one in Georgia, 4 p.m. Eastern, Mercedes-Benz Stadium there in Atlanta, Georgia versus Alabama, number one versus number three, not only for an SEC championship, but for a bid at least one in the college football playoff, and we know what's at stake. If Alabama wins, they are in. If they lose, they are probably almost certainly out, depending on what happens throughout the rest of the day. Georgia, obviously, if they win, they are the number one overall seed. If they lose, they will still be in. But all of a sudden, all that momentum you've built over the last, what, 13, 14 weeks will all be gone. So, so much at stake. So much fun. Let's get into it. Let's break it down. The point spread, Georgia is a six and a half point favorite. The over under is set at 49 and a half. And it's kind of crazy because on the one hand, you sit there and say, the way Georgia's beating everybody this year, and frankly, the way that Alabama has looked the last few weeks in the lead up to this game, it kind of feels like this number should be higher, right? I mean, listen, even the college football playoff committee this week admitted Alabama won, but they barely survived. We dropped them down from two to three. But on the other hand, you look at it, you say, wait a second now, it's Alabama. It's a big game. We trust Nick Saban. And so I kind of see both sides of this point spread. I could see the reasoning behind betting Georgia minus six and a half. I could see the reason betting Alabama plus six and a half. And what I would say is, though, more than anything, as much as I have loved Georgia all year, 
the line kind of makes sense to me, and it's for a few reasons. First of all, I do expect this to be a close competitive game. This will not be Georgia jumping up 24-0 on Arkansas. No disrespect to Arkansas fans. This will not be Georgia uh, with, what, 21 straight points in the middle of the, the second quarter against Florida. I expect this to be competitive, and I think the biggest thing that Alabama has going for it, Alabama has by far the best and most aggressive defensive front that Georgia has seen since that Clemson game. I think it's important to note, the only time that Georgia has really been challenged all year is the one time that they faced a team with across the board the skill and athleticism that they had, and that was in that Clemson game. They end up winning 10-3, to but if you remember that game, and I know you all watched it because uh, what, what else were you doing on Saturday or Labor Day weekend, if you remember that game, Georgia won 10-3, but they did not score a single offensive touchdown. The offensive touchdown came on a pick six, and so Clemson was able to up front kind of dictate things up front. Uh, you know, I don't want to say, I thought Georgia was in control of that game, but Clemson was more than able to hang, and I don't think there's any doubt, especially along the defensive front, that Alabama will be able to do the same. We know how gifted they are up front. They're third nationally in tackles with 43. Will Anderson, I mean, you just talk about a guy. We spend so much time talking about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and Kenneth Walker and this guy for the Heisman and that guy for the Heisman. If Will Anderson does not get invited to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony, we need to stop even giving out the Heisman Trophy because this guy has been so unbelievable, such a game changer, 14 and a half sacks, 29 and a half tackles for loss again. If this guy doesn't go to New York, I do not know what the point of having a Heisman Trophy is. And what I would say is, I do think they can legitimately give some problems to Stetson Bennett. And so to me, one of the keys to this game, and certainly the single biggest key when it comes to this game for Alabama, their rush defense has been awesome. It is definitely the best rush defense that uh, Georgia has seen since way back in the Clemson game to start the season. Alabama currently fourth in the country. They're giving up less than two and a half yards per carry, only eight rushing touchdowns all year, only 80 yards per game on the ground. And if you can limit the Georgia rushing attack, and we know how good it is with Zamir White, Zeus White, and James Cook and all the guys that they got there, that puts a lot of pressure on Stetson Bennett's shoulders. And I bring that up because Stetson Bennett, listen, he's a great story, former walk-on, uh, a guy that, that waited his turn, a guy that won the job last year. He's grew up a Georgia Bulldogs fan, dreamed of being a Georgia Bulldog, but we know that he is limited, and that's not a knock, that's not being rude, that's not being disrespectful, it's just a fact, and you can go back to this game last year when we saw it. Stetson Bennett was going up in that game against a quarterback with, NFL, with an NFL pedigree, Mac Jones, and in that game last year, the game was in Tuscaloosa, I forget what it was, 20% capacity or so, Alabama wins 41-24, Stetson Bennett 18 of 40 passing, two touchdowns, three interceptions, and so to me, that is why I believe this game can be competitive, especially early. I believe Alabama can limit the run game of Georgia as well as anybody since Clemson could, and I believe they're going to make Stetson Bennett try to beat him. And even if you go back to that Georgia-Clemson game, remember, Stetson Bennett didn't play in that game. It was JT Daniels. JT Daniels then gets hurt. Stetson Bennett takes over, and he never gives back the job. But with all due respect to Stetson Bennett, as great as he has been in relief work of JT Daniels, let's not act like he has absolutely been unbelievable or that he is not very similar to the guy that he was a few uh, uh, last year when he ended up getting benched because he went up against Kyle Trask and Mac Jones and, and wasn't even in the same uh, stratosphere as them. On top of that, 
part of Georgia's success? They have not put too much on his shoulders. And again, if Alabama can actually limit the run, Stetson Bennett hasn't been asked to do very much. I was kind of blown away when I saw this. Last five games for Stetson Bennett, he has not attempted more than 20 pass. He's attempted more than 20 passes just one time in the last, take that back, six games. The last six games, Stetson Bennett has not attempted more than 20 passes. Only one time has he, I take that back. Last six games, 20 plus passes only once. That was against Tennessee. And if you remember that Tennessee game, that was early when Tennessee was able to move the ball. Georgia had to be dynamic on offense, or had to be more dynamic on offense because Tennessee was scoring points. Everybody else, they don't even have to be dynamic on offense because they can just rely on the defense, the run game, to win games going away. So to me, when I look at this game, that's what it comes down to. Can Alabama slow down the run game, and can they put the ball in Stetson Bennett's hands and makes him make him make plays? And if they do, I think they could keep it close certainly early. The problem, of course, is on the other side of the football, which is where I would absolutely be concerned if I was an Alabama fan. And I think Alabama fans get it. Some of you yell at me on social media and tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. But we know this Alabama team is limited. They got a ton of heart, by the way. They got a ton of heart. But this is a team that if you go through the last three, four, five weeks, this offense has regressed. The offensive line has gotten worse throughout the season. As the games have mattered more, this offense is just jumbled mess disoriented I think the fact that Bryce Young uh you know Bryce Young I think has covered a lot of warts for Alabama but even Bryce Young as great as he is let's never forget this was a team that scored 10 points in regulation at Auburn the other day okay and I know it's a rivalry game and I know it's this and I know it's that they scored 10 points in that game against Auburn and I know also Jamison Williams got out for targeting got knocked got kicked out of the game for targeting your best wide receivers out but the bottom line is this has not been a super dynamic offense essentially all season long. On top of that, you start to go back through the, re- the weeks, and I've talked about them, um, you know, six yards rushing against LSU, an Alabama-Tennessee game where it was a, a, a one-score game into the fourth quarter. But again, what it comes down to for me is the run attack and if they can create plays in the run game so that Bryce Young just isn't back in the pocket just getting teed off on. That, to me, is the key. That is the difference. And I just do not know if this is something that Alabama can do and how they're going to generate offense, especially, I should mention, by the way, Brian Robinson is banged up coming into this game. You're down to, uh, to, to you know, when, when you talk about this game in terms of Alabama and in terms of the run game and in terms of everything that they are going to try to do in this game, um, you know, you start looking around and Brian Young's, uh, Brian Robinson's banged up, excuse me, it may come down to Trey Sanders, who uh, has barely, you know, he hasn't played a ton this year, being asked to carry the heavy load. He did have 10 carries the other day against Auburn, and so I'm just saying, I'm not saying Alabama can't pull the upset, but I think that Georgia is just going to control that offensive line, make life miserable for Bryce Young. All I would say is, uh, uh, all I would say is this. I do not see the scenario where Alabama easily moves the ball all game long. Even last week against uh, Auburn, I thought they showed a ton of heart. But even in showing a ton of heart, uh, they did not move the ball well until late. Bryce Young made a few incredible throws. This is not a knock on him. I think he's been incredible. I just worry about the rest of the offense against what is by far the best defense they will have played all year. All right, let's switch gears to the, uh, the other big one. 
The Big Ten Championship game, Michigan is a 10.5 point favorite against Iowa in Indianapolis. The over-under is set for 43.5. And And this is another game, when the point spread came out and I saw that it was at 10.5, I thought, oh my God, grab that number right now, it's going to go way down. Because Iowa, the way they play defense, the way they do this, Michigan doesn't score a ton. And it's kind of held steady, which I think is very interesting to me. A week ago, we didn't even know if Ohio, if Michigan, no, I don't even want to say we didn't know if Michigan could beat Ohio State. We gave Michigan no chance against Ohio State. Now, a week later, we're making them a 10.5 point favorite on a neutral field against Iowa. Seems a little crazy to me, but I also do get it in many ways. Speaking of which, let's get into Iowa. And I, I, I did this on Monday's show, and people, oh, you do the same thing on Monday. Listen, here's the bottom line. Sometimes there's stuff that needs worth repeating over the course of the week, and I think this is one of them. With Iowa, it, it's really pretty simple, right? I, I've said it I've said it actually since about week two, week three, when they took care of Indiana and Iowa State in back-to-back weeks. As it turns out, both those teams were really underrated. But I said Iowa's game plan is about as simple as any game plan can possibly be. Their game plan is pretty straightforward. They like to run the ball. They don't, take, they don't like to pass the ball. They don't take chances on offense, and they sit back wait for you to make a mistake, and capitalize. That's not even my opinion at this point. It's fact. First of all, just from the offensive perspective, 110th nationally in passing offense, 123rd nationally in total offense. But here's the crazy stat, though. So I, I, you know, I, I say these things like Iowa just sits back and makes you make mistakes, and then they take advantage of it. But sometimes saying stuff like that means nothing if you don't have facts to back it up. So I decided to go in, take a deep dive, take a look to see, is that true? Is it true that Iowa basically just sits back, hopes you make a mistake, and capitalizes from there? And the answer is yes, okay? So I went back and looked at all 12 regular season games that Iowa played this year. These numbers will not surprise you. In nine of their 12 regular season games, they won the turnover battle. They won all, they, they either won or it was the same, as in they had zero turnovers, the opponent had zero turnovers. They had one turnover, they had... In all nine games, Iowa won. Iowa went 9-0 when they did not have a negative turnover differential relative to the opponent. The three games that they did have a negative turnover differential, they beat Minnesota by five in a close game that they easily could have lost, and they got destroyed by Wisconsin, and they got destroyed by Purdue. So you go ahead and look. 9-0 when the turnover battle is even, 1-2 in games that uh, the turnover battle was uh, was negative in against them in favor of the opponent. What is also crazy is it shows you the thin margin for error that Iowa has where if they don't turn you over three, four, five times, they really struggle to move the ball, piece together drives. The, the, you know, you go back and look at their last five or six games, it's kind of crazy, right? So Iowa, if you remember, they just start out so hot, they get into the top five nationally at one point, beat Indiana, beat Iowa State, Kent State, Colorado State, and Maryland. These are the scores of Iowa's last seven games over the course of the end of the season. Three-point win, uh, three win over Penn State. If you remember, that was the game Sean Clifford got hurt. Penn State was up 17-3. to Backup plays, backup struggles. Iowa wins by three. Then they lose to Wisconsin. Then they lose to Purdue. Then a five-point win over Northwestern. A five-point win over Minnesota. A 10-point win over Illinois. And a seven-point win last week against Nebraska uh, in a game where they trailed by nine going into the fourth quarter. So I just bring it up to say... This is so easy. Like, like, this is the most straightforward thing for Michigan 
But it's something, and this is this is part of doing a college football betting podcast. There are certain things that I can't guess, project, estimate. If Michigan takes care of the football, they're going to be in really good shape in this game. The good news, if you want to back Michigan, if you are a Michigan backer, the good news is is that this season they have been excellent taking care of the ball. Now, that hasn't always been the case under Harbaugh. As a matter of fact, that's been kind of one of their big deficiencies under Harbaugh and why they've struggled to win close games. It's because in the biggest games, they make the dumbest mistakes at the worst possible time. It even happened in the Michigan State game this year where they bring in J.J. McCarthy cold off the bench. He fumbles, starts the next series, fumbles the next snap. Michigan uh, uh, recovers it. Michigan State, excuse me, recovers it, scores what is the go-ahead touchdown in a game-winning situation. And so I only bring it up to say Michigan has struggled with turnovers in the past. This season is not one of them, though. Cade McNamara, just three interceptions. Um, you know, just three interceptions and 284 total uh, in two, 284 total pass attempts. In terms of the total, the total number of lost turnovers, they actually rank in the top 10 nationally. Nine total turnovers in 12 games. I'm not telling you what to do. I never tell you what to do. I never tell you how to better wager. But I am just telling you, if Michigan does what they have done all year taking care of the football, they will be your Big Ten champs. They will be in the college football playoff. But again, they haven't faced a team as good at turning you over as Iowa is. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back, and we'll rip through some of the other games this weekend. Oregon, Utah, and Vegas. Wake Forest, Pitt, and Charlotte. Uh, we got the AAC Championship. We got Oklahoma State, Baylor. I'll be right back, people. All right, everybody. I am back. Could it be back? Could it be back? Let's rip through the rest of the games this weekend, the big ones anyway. And uh, let's start Friday night. Pac-12 championship game, Utah-Oregon. That's right. This game is Friday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. Plan your schedules accordingly. Tell the wife and kids, honey, hold my calls. Kids, go play by yourselves. Nothing sharp. Don't, don't juggle anything too sharp because I got Pac-12 football to watch, baby. Oregon versus Utah, the spread. Utah, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under set at 59-and-a-half. It is worth noting this line was at about three earlier in the week. It's down. It appears as though money is coming in on Oregon, this despite the fact that Utah just beat them two weeks ago. With that said, though, in a lot of ways it kind of makes sense, right? Because I talked about last episode the physicality at the line of scrimmage that Utah displayed in that game, and it was really impressive, and it was really, you know, Oregon's a team that has built a program, frankly, that is built on physicality, and it was Utah which controlled the line of scrimmage. I already talked about that. I'm not going to get into it again, but why I bring it up is because there was that aspect of it, but there was another aspect that I think I didn't do a good enough job explaining on last episode, and that was this. As bad as the final score looked, 38-7, to the bottom line is that Oregon all things considered, wasn't quite as bad as that final score looked. A lot of what happened in that first game was self-inflicted. They missed two chip shot field goals in the first half. On top of that, they give up a punt return for a touchdown on the final play of the first half. And so when you miss two, two field goals and you then give up a punt return for a touchdown on the final play of the half, what ends up happening is this. A game that should have been 21-6, to 15 points, two, two scores, no big deal. 
is all of a sudden a 28-point game, which is basically four touchdowns, and you're basically out of it, and they never could come back from there. So if you really break it down at its most simple level, that game probably wasn't as one-sided as the final score looked. And on top of that, this is now on a neutral field in Las Vegas. I'll be curious to see what the crowd is, as this is the first time that we have had a Pac-12 championship in Las Vegas. I guess the big thing for me, though, as I look at this game that would concern me if I'm an Oregon fan, can I slow down? that Utah rushing attack because listen Oregon is one of the best run defenses in college football again to their credit built from the inside out a program built from the inside out they have multiple first rounders probably in the front seven on their defense Kayvon Thibodeau will certainly be a top 10 pick this year and if you just look at their numbers overall you kind of sit there and say okay they're a pretty solid run defense giving up 124 yards per game that's in the top 30 nationally there's just one problem Utah is running the crap out of the ball lately, and it's not even just against this Oregon Ducks team. Here are the last five weeks and Utah's rushing totals in those games. Last week's season finale against Colorado, 265 yards rushing. The week before that Oregon game, 208 yards rushing. Week before, 174 yards rushing, which doesn't sound like a lot. They were playing a bad Arizona team. Uh, I think they were just trying to take the air out of the ball, win that game, put themselves in position to get set up for Oregon. Week before that, 441 yards rushing against Stanford. Not 441 yards of total offense. 441 yards rushing. Just rushing. That makes what Michigan did against Ohio State look like uh, Mike Leach in the air raid here. And, of course, 290 yards rushing against UCLA. So just do some math there. In their last five games, four games, they have gone over the 200-yard rushing mark. This is Utah now I'm talking about. And three of them, they have comfortably gone over 250 yards, including a 441-yard performance against Stanford. And so I just sit back and say, if you're Oregon, like what is a good effort for Oregon in this game? That would be concern for me is what does what qualifies as a good effort? You, you, you quote-unquote only gave up 208 yards the other day. That feels like that's about as what as good as you are going to do against this Utah offense. And then, like I said, their quarterback, Cam Rising, to his credit, that kid just does not make mistakes since he took over as quarterback when Charlie Brewer entered the transfer portal. This is a kid that, again, he's not elite. He's not a difference maker. He's not Bryce Young. But he has now played in, I believe, eight games, uh, I think nine games actually, excuse me, since uh, since Charlie Brewer left the program. And in those nine games, he only he has only thrown three three interceptions, excuse me, um, in those nine games. And, and that is in a total of over almost 300 pass attempts. So he doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't try to do too much. Um and then they run the crap out of the ball, and I think that is a tough, tough, tough ask for a Oregon defense to stop them, to keep them under control. I think the bigger problem for Oregon is what I've said for weeks now. I don't know what I'm getting from their offense. If you watch them on a week-to-week basis, you just have no idea what you're getting, although I think you kind of do know what you're getting. They're going to put up a ton of points against bad competition, and then against decent to good competition, it's a total grab bag, right? So the last five games for Oregon, we just talked about what Utah has done on the ground. Let's talk about Oregon overall. Last five games, put up 52 points against Colorado. That's pretty awesome. Nobody's going to deny that. 26 in the rain at Washington in what ultimately ended up being the final game of the Jimmy Lake era at the University of Washington. But again, go back, think about that game. That was a game 
that Oregon, you know, put on a few points late that that Washington was in until the very end. And Oregon, again, was able to put up a couple scores at the end of the game to seal the victory going into the fourth quarter there. They only had it was a 17 to nine game. And so 17 points going into the fourth quarter and again a touchdown late or excuse me a safety late to make it one sided. So I just bring it up because that was a game where they did not really perform well. Then they come back out they put up 38 against Wazoo. Then they come back out and put up seven against Utah and then they come back out and put 38 against Oregon State. And so I just bring all of this up to just very simply say. You just do not know what you are getting from this offense on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. I've talked about it for weeks. I don't trust their quarterback. Their best running back is out for the season. And now you're going up against a really good Utah team that is trending in the right direction. It would scare me. It's going to be a fun game. Vegas is going to be popping. But I don't know what to make of Oregon, a team that we thought was in the playoff picture as of two and a half weeks ago before they went to Utah. I think this is a really, really tough matchup for them. You know what's not? Well, well, it's still a tough matchup. But you know what will be at least a very fun game? There's some games that are going to be low-scoring competitive. The ACC title game between Wake and Pitt, that is not – low-scoring is not in the cards there. Pitt is a 2.5-point favorite. The over-under set at 72.5 in this game. Uh, and it feels like a crazy over-under until you break it down. Then when you do, it's not so crazy. If you have not seen these teams, let me start by saying this. Uh, listen, we, we can criticize the ACC for a lot of things. But Pitt is the number four ranked scoring offense or total offense in college football, 512 yards per game. Wake Forest, a top 10 offense as well, 483 yards. Oh, by the way, scoring offenses, Pitt number four in the country, 43 points per game. We got Wake Forest right in the mix there at overall the third ranked scoring offense, 42.9 points. So these two teams combined are averaging 84 points per game. This will be a fun one. This should be a fun one. Pitt is favored. Let's start with them. And look, when it comes to Pitt, they do two things really well. One, they throw the crap out of the football. That is a direct reflection of having Kenny Pickett, who might be the first quarterback off of the board on your roster. But Kenny Pickett, to his credit, he came back for an extra year. He has been awesome. I said it the other day, 40 touchdown passes are second most in all of college football. Only seven interceptions and almost 500 pass attempts, over 4,000 yards. And this is an important one for him because not only is he trying to lead Pitt to an ACC title and a New Year's Six Bowl game, with what's going on, he could get himself back in the Heisman. I mean, if he throws for 450 yards here, there's no reason to think that he can't go to New York and maybe win the freaking Heisman. I said Will Anderson should go to New York. Kenny Pickett very well could go to New York as well. The other thing that Pitt does really well, they stop the run, which I do think is important against a Wake Forest D offense that likes to be balanced. The one concern I would have about with Pitt, though, they cannot stop the pass worth a lick. 112th nationally in pass defense, and that would concern me a little bit going up against a Wake Forest passing offense. That ranks 11th nationally, 315 yards per game. The last time that Pitt faced a pass offense this good, They faced Virginia a few weeks ago, and Virginia put up 38 points on them. So you think that over-under is crazy? Just remember, the last time Pitt faced a pass offense this good, they put up 48, Virginia put up 38. Now, the big concern for Wake Forest is a few things. One, they are a very balanced offense. They run this weird offense where they kind of have a delayed handoff thing going on. Dave Clawson just got an extension, all that good stuff. 
if you can stop the run, and Pitt historically has been able to stop the run this year, you can really limit what they do because you put them in obvious passing situations. And I was watching, they they actually played, uh, this is Wake Forest now, they played Clemson the other day, about two weeks ago, and Clemson just completely shut things down at the point of attack. There's you got to pass the ball a million times, and Wake Forest could not get anything going. They still ended up scoring 17 or 27 points, excuse me, but 14 were in the fourth quarter when the game was long since decided. It was 38 to 13 Clemson going into that fourth quarter, and so I bring it up because if you can stop the run and force Wake into passing downs, obvious passing downs, it slows down that pass offense. But again. Pitt, as good as they are, they don't have Clemson-type athletes up front, and you are now instead talking about a Wake Forest offense that, again, to its credit, outside of that uh, Clemson game, they have put up at least 35 points in every single game this year. And so to me, what this game just simply comes down to is this. Can Pitt get Kenny Pickett off the field without him putting up six points every, every possession? And then from there, or can Wake get him off the field without giving up six points every possession? And history says they can't. Three of the last four games, I should mention, they've given up at least 40 points. Gave up 48 to Clemson, by far the most Clemson has scored against a Power 5 team all year. 42 to NC State and 58 in a loss to, uh, to UNC the other day. And then for Pitt's perspective, stop the run. Can you slow down that Wake Forest passing attack? I'm telling you guys, I know this is on at the same time as the Big Ten Championship game. I know we're all going to be focused on Michigan-Iowa. This should be a really, really fun game. Last couple ones to get into, uh, Big 12. Big 12 early Saturday, 12 Eastern, 11 Central, Jerry World. Oklahoma State versus Baylor. Oklahoma State's a a 5.5-point favorite. The over-under set at 46.5. And And while that number might seem low, again, uh, the exact opposite of Pitt Wake Forest. Pitt Wake Forest seems high, but it's probably justified. This number seems low, but it's probably justified as well. Remember, these two teams actually have played already this season, 28, uh, 24 to 14 Oklahoma State win a few weeks ago. And it's worth noting, I, I think both of these teams are uniquely built to slow down each other. That's especially the case with Oklahoma State. I know a lot of you, it was the first time that you saw Oklahoma State last week, but there's two things that jump to mind in this game. Baylor wants to run the ball as often as they possibly can. 498 rush attempts this year, most in the Big 12. That's almost double the pass attempts that they had. It's really about 60%, 60-40, 65-35 in terms of run versus pass. Well, here's the problem. Oklahoma State has by far the best run defense that they have seen all season long, and it really slowed them down the first time that these two teams met earlier this year when they did play about, I don't know, about five or six weeks ago in that game. Baylor barely broke 100 yards against that Oklahoma State run, rushing attack. And really, it comes down to also Jerry Bohannon, their quarterback, is a guy, if you've watched Baylor, they run their quarterback a lot. His worst game of the season, nine carries, 13 yards. You could probably guess who it came against that Oklahoma State rushing defense. And so now you start to look at what Jerry Bohannon does with the if you can slow him down running the ball, he also had his worst passing game because he could not run the ball 13 of 27 as well. And so now just the question becomes can Oklahoma State move the ball enough to win this game convincingly? Oklahoma State of course coming off frankly their best offensive performance last week, but also uh you know a game where they gave up their most offensive yards as well. Spencer Sanders, their quarterback, is pretty limited. Um, and I just, uh, I'll say this. 
That Oklahoma State offense I do think is limited. They have leaned on that defense so much. It is worth noting, of course, that Baylor is the second best rushing defense in the Big 12 behind only Oklahoma State. Top 20 nationally, 120 yards allowed per game. And so you talk about two defenses that are uniquely built to slow down the offenses that they're facing. We will see that on Saturday afternoon when Oklahoma State plays Baylor. I don't tell you how to bet. This is the last one, the last episode here for a little while. Well, the last... Two week, two two episodes in one week uh, that we're going to have in a while. I don't tell you how to bet. That's been my rule since day one. But let me just tell you, these two offenses, these two defenses are designed to slow down these offenses, especially a second time around. Finally, let's wrap with that AAC championship game. I talked about this one a little bit last week or a little bit earlier this week, and it's worth noting. For everyone that's just handing Cincinnati a college football playoff berth, like let's let's pump the brakes here. This Houston team can play now. This Houston team can play now. Houston, 10.5-point favorite. They, this game, it is worth noting, and I said this last week, but it, earlier this week, but it's worth noting again. One of the few true home field advantages on championship weekend. This game will be played at Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati. As I just said, Cincinnati is a 10.5-point favorite. The over-under set at 53. And like I told you the other day, Houston is coached by Dana Holgerson. I think we think of all those great offenses that he had during his time at the University of West or West Virginia University, excuse me. And I think we just think offense, 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 70 points with Geno Smith, all that good stuff. They were awesome on defense this year. Nationally, over the course of this season, they ranked, are you ready for this? Sixth nationally in total defense. Um, and they really largely took care of everyone they played. It's kind of crazy. They, they, they played a season opener against, uh, against Texas Tech at NRG Stadium in Houston. They were up at halftime, blew the lead, lost. And then they have played 11 games since. They're 11-0, enter this game 11-1. And they've won every single game by at least a touchdown. Now, it's worth noting that SMU game, they basically won on a kickoff return that essentially became a walk-off kickoff return against SMU. But they have won their last 11 games by seven or more points. And this Cincinnati team, it's not as though they're putting teams away. It is not as though Cincinnati is playing its best football right now. I said it the other day, East Carolina, they were down 3-0 after the first quarter. Rally put together a couple scores, win going away. Uh, a few weeks ago, they gave up 28 to, to South Florida, a sloppy, bad South Florida team that's firing coordinators and all that stuff. 28-20 win against uh, Tulsa the other day. And, of course, that Navy game, 27-20, even the two-lane game that they won 31-12, that was close until late. And so whether it's the pressure getting to them, whether it's Luke Fickle maybe you know being uh, interested in the Notre Dame deal, whether it is, in fact, uh, that they just aren't that good. Whatever it is, this team is not peaking right now. You have a Houston team that has nothing to lose. Cincinnati with everything to play for. They're not only playing for Cincinnati. They're not only playing for the AAC. They're playing for all of these group of five opponents, all of these group of five teams. And so I'm just sitting there saying, just be very, very, very careful. Cincinnati has a lot to play for. Uh, they don't play nervous under Luke Fickle. But I do think it is kind of interesting there. By the way, one non-championship game this week, Cal hosting USC. That, of course, is a makeup for the game that Cal had uh, COVID issues in their program, even though they had a 100% vaccination rate. Cal, a four-point favorite in that one. They just got smoked by UCLA uh, at the Rose Bowl the other day. They have won three of their last five, though. 
uh, coming into this one. USC is just a mess. I mean, listen, I, I know you're going to be chasing your bets late at night. Pac-12 after dark, or yeah, Pac-12 after dark at 11 p.m. Eastern kickoff. But I'm just telling you, I don't know if this is the game to chase your bets on. With that said, I'm going to get out of here. This is the final episode of, I guess, the regular season college football betting season one in the books. Again, I want to thank all of you for all of your support. Thank you so much. Thank you to all of you who have shared with friends and family and gotten this show in the, the hands of people who want to hear stuff like this. We're going to keep rolling next year. Maybe we'll bring on some guests. Maybe we'll do all sorts of cool stuff with this show. But college football betting with Aaron Torres, season one in the books. I will be back next week. We are still doing some bowl stuff. We'll do some early reaction to the bowls. Then we'll probably wait, I don't know, 10 days or so, do something right before Christmas when the bowls really pick up. And hopefully by that point, we'll have a feel for who's opted out. Is the coaching carousel finally slowed down? Who's transferring? Who's not? I mean, it's going to be so hard to speculate on how to bet these bowl games because, I mean, just look at somebody like Oklahoma. As I record right now, we don't know who their head coach is. We don't know if Caleb Williams is staying. There's so much going on with this program and, and with so many different programs that a lot remains to be seen. But with that said, that is all for college football betting. I'm your host, Aaron Torres. Before we get out of here, make sure that you are subscribed so that you get notifications when we go live in the offseason and we will go live starting next week. Make sure you also have rated and if you can rate and review the show. Uh, let us know what you like. It really does help us with those iTunes charts and those iTunes moves. So thank you for all your support. Make sure to rate and review. Make sure to subscribe. Uh, tell your friends about college football betting. Season is done. Make sure you're following me on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Obviously, I'll be giving out some college hoops bets here throughout the course of the uh, college hoop season. But fun year. I appreciate your support. I will be back soon at some point next week. And then who knows from what. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.